0: So today, we're going to continue in our series, uh, Matthew, Gospel of the King, and we're, we're, we're in this mini-series uh, entitled, Creating a Kingdom Culture in Your Home. Now, I hope so far that many of you have been blessed by, as we look at the home. Why? Because the home is a very personal place. There are things that happen in the home that really don't happen anywhere else I walk barefoot in my home a home I wouldn't dare do that to you here amen I got ref feet y'all I'm just saying amen so, so so brothers don't y'all leave me out there by myself on this I ain't the only one in need of a pedicure I'm just saying but uh, but there are things that happen that happen in homes that we don't normally talk about, that we we need to bring some attention to and shine some light on, so that we can understand what the will of God is for our lives. And God doesn't just want to have you know how to respond, react, behave, worship in the church. He wants the same thing in your home. Amen. So, so today we're going to talk about this ideal of kingdom marriage. Kingdom marriage. Everybody say kingdom marriage. Amen. Now, now here's the, here's the tough part. Whenever a married preacher begins a series or sermon about the home and family, they are acutely aware of two important truths. First of all, they are aware of their own frailties, as it relates to marriage and family. And I am no different. I'm aware that I fail more than I should regarding my family. I knew I wasn't gonna get too many amens there, but I'm not the only one. I'm aware that human imperfection runs through my blood, and my bloodline. My daddy was imperfect. His daddy was imperfect. His daddy's daddy was imperfect. And so far. So, so this idea of being imperfect is, is something that I am acutely aware of even as I talk about these, this personal concept of marriage and family. Now the other important truth is that God's word is the foundation of Christian life. Building your life upon anything else leaves one without hope of success. No matter how seductive our own way of doing things may seem. We can be easily seduced by doing things our way it's what I'm used to it's what I'm comfortable with it's what I like we can only hope to have a successful family life when we trust the architect of the family which is almighty God our sinful inclination is to trust ourselves more than we trust God We believe we can fix things with our own intellect and natural abilities. We're not much different than the man who Jesus talked about who had many goods laid up for many years. And then he says, here is what I am going to do. We start with I. And I don't care how you spell it. I is always in the middle of sin. I just threw that in for free. (laughs) Many married people are part of something really important. But have little idea what the higher purpose of marriage is. By finding someone to agree to marry them, they're married. Right? But... The why of marriage is either lost on them or they refuse to submit to it. We often enter into marriage without understanding the purpose. Now, to to give you some insight on this, I'm going to lay out a couple things that, you know, from a negative perspective, here's what the purpose of marriage is not. The purpose of marriage is not to end your lonely streak. Not the purpose of marriage. I'm tired of being by myself. I'm going to find me somebody so I won't have to be by myself. So, the purpose of marriage is not to end your lonely streak. The purpose of marriage is not to validate your physical needs because you feel guilty pursuing them outside of the marital context. That's probably about the most politically correct way I could say that. I'm just, flesh and blood did not reveal that to me. The purpose of marriage is not financial gain. Some people get married because, boy, you're a go-getter and I'm a go-getter. And and you want to be successful and I want to be successful. And we could be more successful together. We could have so many things that we can purchase, buy, and accumulate if we work together. That's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is not to have children. Children are wonderful. They're beautiful. They will get on your nerves. But they will look at you with some eyes of love and your heart will melt. (laughs) But to have children is not the purpose of marriage. You're right, brother. It's coming. (laughs) Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you either. (laughs) Marriage has a higher purpose than marriage. For our marriages to thrive over the long run, not only do we need to know what it is, we must pursue that goal as the uniting principle between the husband and the wife. So we've got to know what the higher purpose is, and that purpose has to be what holds husbands and wives together so I'm going to read a pretty long passage here so stay with me it's, it's in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he, oh, yeah, there ought to be some shouting going on here. So that he, so that he, look at this thing but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Praise God. I didn't make that up. That's in the word. And I'm going to tell you something right now, brothers. In all that whole passage, do you see how much responsibility is put on the man? Leadership comes with responsibilities. Amen. Women, I'm going to tell you, don't get yourself too excited about that whole submission thing. Read the whole passage. Amen. It ain't but one thing you have to do. It's about 10 things that that man need to be doing. Amen. Amen. Oh, y'all got quiet on me right there. There's... Y'all stuck on that submission thing. That's... Amen. You'll see later on. I, I, we'll get to it. But this section of Scripture has much to say about roles in marriage and the purpose of marriage. Husbands who love their wives. Wives who respect and submit to their husbands. Could it be any clearer? Amen. Then why do we mess it up so much? Apparently, it wasn't simple in the first century, just like it's not simple today. Apparently, simply telling spouses how their marriage should function was not enough. Paul could have just said, husbands do this, wives do this, no problem, now we go forward. First century couples could not and would not have successful marriages if they didn't realize the higher purpose. Go back to verse 31 and 32 in that passage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this passage may sound familiar. There are two important appearances of it in the Bible in Genesis 2 and 24. Right there, God says it, right? God says it. So we're going to talk first now about the creation of marriage. God said it in Genesis 2 and 24. Paul quotes Genesis 2 and 24. Why is that important? It's when God created marriage in the first place. Marriage is a divine institution whose purpose is divinely established. So when the Supreme Court of the United States alters the definition of marriage constitutionally as they did. Marriage does not change. The court didn't create marriage. The court didn't establish marriage. And the court cannot change the definition of marriage. They may as well try to redefine gravity. Gravity doesn't change by how a man defines it. Real marriage doesn't change with culture and time. It is what it has always been because it is source in God's eternal purpose and decree. For this reason will a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh marriage is between a man and a woman now that's kind of scandalous today but it bears noting a man who leaves his primary role as a son and assumes a new primary role and human identity as husband so so before marriage he's a son after marriage he leaves the sonship role as primary and becomes a husband. Now, a husband is different than a son, the husband becomes his primary role. Some of you women are married to mama's boy. Y'all ain't going to want to talk to me after this, are you? For every mama's boy in here, understand the leaving and the cleaving. You can love your mama, but once you get married, your primary role is that of a husband and not a son. So some of you need to get your mama out your business. Can I make it plain? You need to have a sit down, talk with her and say, mama, I love you. I'll do anything for you, but you need to stop trying to run my house. (laughs) Well, there's some women in here shout today. I know that. (laughs) But now listen. Listen, before you shout too much, ladies, while it is not stated, it is inferred that the wife does the same thing by the leaving of her family and the husband and wife constitute a new primary relationship of oneness. So all the daddy's girls in here, let me help you understand something. When you get married, when you become a wife, you are not primarily a daddy's girl anymore. See that? Look at brothers, they all quiet now. They just, move on, Pastor. Move on. Just you leave your daddy and your mama, ladies. And you cleave and you hold fast to your husband. Now, some of you ladies need to go back to your father's and tell him to stay out of your business. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But what you see here is a plurality in unity. It almost is paradoxical. There's a plurality, two people, but one flesh. There's a plurality and unity, and it's reflecting the plurality and unity of the Trinity itself. So, these three are one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these three are one. So, if you say, Holy Spirit, bless me, that's the same as saying, Father, bless me. If you say, Jesus, I need you, that's the same as saying, Holy Spirit and Father, I need you. These three are one. Now, this is arguably the most important verse in the Bible about what marriage essentially is in its divine creative purpose. What God has done is he has said, husband, wife, come together, and your purpose is to become one flesh. That is when God looks at that household. He doesn't see two individual units. He sees one flesh. Now, in one flesh, think about your human body. If your arm decided it doesn't want to cooperate, something's wrong. Isn't that right? Because your arm should feel always a part of your body. Your legs should feel a part of your body. Husbands and wives have to have that kind of unity. So, you can't have that kind of unity when each entity is acting independently here's the next thing so we have the God's creation of marriage in Genesis 2 24 but now we have the covenant of marriage if you turn your Bibles to Matthew 19 Matthew 19 and 5 and you want, want to read through that when you get a chance because Jesus is kind of uh, actually teaching on divorce and, but he's really teaching on marriage because the question came up about divorce, and Jesus said, I'm going to take a minute to tell you about marriage. Because right. right. that's your that's real problem. Amen. The problem isn't what, you know, what really what divorce is. The problem is you don't understand marriage. So, the second promised spot is from the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was asked about divorce. The culture of his day, much like our own, was laid back about divorce, with some prominent teachers in Judaism saying husbands could divorce their wives for nearly any reason. I don't like the way you chew your food. It's over. <laughs> your colors don't match. <laughs> it's over. You snore too loud. It's over. (laughs) People were divorcing for all kinds of reasons. Jesus' reply was nothing short of radical and shocking. Because in verse 5 and 6, he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There that is again, the purpose of marriage. So they are no longer two but one flesh. But look at what he says. He adds this, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God's design has always been that people should remain married. What happened? Why in modern cultures divorce so frequent? I believe it's because we marry without a full understanding of the purpose and the nature of the marriage covenant. We got married because we're tired of being by ourselves. We got married because we wanted somebody to partner up with. We got married because we're feeling guilty about, about having sex outside of marriage. Got married for a lot of different reasons. We needed some help on these bills. I know I'm coming by your street here. Huh? Many marriages, admittedly or not, base themselves on a contractual obligation and not a covenant purpose. Some of us got married like we was buying a car. You go down to the finance office at the dealership, they roll out the contract. They tell you what the payment's going to be. They give you the keys and you leave out of there. Amen. Never does GMAC send you a birthday card. All right. But they will put the collection agency on you if you don't fulfill the terms of the contract. Amen. See, contractual relationships are responsible or they have each party have to do something. Now, but a covenant, hallelujah. A covenant is different than a contract. A covenant says, even if you don't hold up your end, I'm gonna pray, get strong in the Lord, and I carry this thing for both of us. I'm looking at some of y'all now. (laughs) Didn't nobody tell me that before I said I do this is why you don't play around with getting married you get married to somebody because they've been nice to you y'all don't ladies let me tell you heathens can be nice especially when they're trying to get what they want he'll call you every day He'll give you a little money for gas. He'll buy your baby some new clothes. Heathens can be nice. But any man that is not submitting himself to the glory of God in his life will never love you the way God says. Yeah. Brothers. Brothers women can look good they can appeal to all this in your chest that just whoo every time i see her start getting weak in the knees and girl don't you look at me with them eyes i just can't mm. don't y'all act like i'm the only one that's been through that now But if she is not rooted and grounded in the word of God, if she's not praising the Lord, you could have a Jezebel on your hand. You know, Jezzy. <laughs> Jezzy was a good looking woman. <laughs> Ahab was like, I got a fine wife. But she turned his heart. Away from the Lord. So, you understand that this is a covenant. So, the disciples, after Jesus says this, down in verse 10, the disciples say this. They said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better off not to marry. (laughs) Can you imagine if some of their wives was in the crowd (laughs) when they said that? See, what happened here, the disciples Heard what Jesus was saying. Marriage is a God thing. What God has brought together, let not man separate. What you bring together gets messed up all the time. Again, this is critical. The fact that God unites means that God should have the last say in your uniting. How did you choose your spouse? Did you even pray? I taught on marriage one time in my previous ministry. And that Wednesday, I taught on marriage that Friday or something like that. One of the members ran down to the courthouse and got married. Came back to church on Sunday without a husband and said, Pastor, I followed your teaching. I went and got married. I said, what? I had to go back in my mind and see, did I teach that? The marriage didn't last three weeks. Three weeks. 21 days. That's shorter than the cycle for your bills. (laughs) I got a whole nother week before rent due. 21 days and you come back to me crying "Uh, this thing ain't working out I know it's not working out how'd you choose your spouse were you just ready to get married did they just look good to you or did you choose based upon a spirit led decision that went beyond your flesh or your temporal needs How did you choose your spouse? Let's revisit Ephesians chapter 5 real quickly here. Verse 32, it says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, this is what I want you to hear clearly. If the purpose of your marriage is a mystery, then your marriage will struggle. Now, listen to this. We see the word mystery and we just think, oh, that means we're not going to know. Child, I don't know why I'm in this, but I'm just in it. Pray for me. Paul is not saying that you won't know what the mystery is. He's just giving you the nature of the mystery. He's saying it's a profound mystery. It doesn't mean it's a hidden mystery. Sometimes you got to watch the whole movie. Watch this to understand the mystery. (laughs) Huh? And so Paul is saying that this mystery is profound. He doesn't say that the purpose of your marriage is not revealed. And if you don't know what that mystery is, your marriage will struggle. When we disconnect marriage from its higher purpose and try to extract from marriage itself the reason to be married, stay married, be happy in marriage, marriage will let you down every time. God never intended marriage to be the source of happiness in marriage. Some of y'all messed up right now because you got married because they temporarily made you happy i'm so happy i just ain't never had no happiness like this before you make me happier than anybody else (laughs) no no this happiness in marriage is not going to be found in marriage so why is that because complicating it further is the reality of who no matter who you marry you're married to a sinner I ain't gonna look up because there's some wives looking, looking at their husband like, you a sinner. <laughs> now, the husband just smiled at him and said, You one too, baby. <laughs> we all sinners in here. So, what happens when you look to a sinner for happiness? Disappointment and ongoing failed expectations. Because you think somebody that's likely just as big a sinner as you are is going to make you happy All right. this brings us to the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus and God's purpose in his kingdom God is restoring what sin has devastated a humanity in rebellion human suffering apart from their creator God restores by conquering sin through Jesus death on the cross what sin is broken Jesus is putting back together and that includes marriage Arguably, other than death, marriage is where the effects of sin are felt the most. The brokenness we experience in marriage is one of the most painful in the entire human experience. Because you don't expect your spouse to lose their full mind. My grandparents stayed together till one of them died but ever since I can remember they never slept in the same room my grandmother got to a point where she would say whatever was on her mind my grandfather got to a point where he would say whatever was on his mind and depending on what day of the week it was there was turmoil in their home and I thought about how miserable It must be to spend your entire life with somebody you can't stand. Because they never learned that they were both sinners. So we need to bring the kingdom of God to your marriage. And to bring the kingdom of God to your marriage, you must bring the king to your heart. Until then, it's my kingdom come, my will be done. Two married sinners subtly or overtly living for their own kingdoms produces conflict and manipulation and passive aggressive behavior so often found in marriage. This is where the get out my face come from. You better bag it up. Say it one more time if you want to. The door swings both ways. When I get to yours, just say something. You can let the doorknob hit you. I was fine by myself. I can do bad all by myself. Because you have two sinners building their own kingdoms. But when a husband and wife together bow in submission to Jesus, their marriage ceases to be about their marriage. Their marriage ceases to be the source of their hope and happiness. Essentially, their marriage ceases to be about them. And that is the key. It's not about me. Look at your neighbor and just say, it's not about me. Tell me it's not about you. Amen. Amen. You don't exist for my happiness I'm not the center of my marriage Now I'm going to give you real quickly here How to have a kingdom first marriage First thing you have to do Is be clear with each other What the purpose of your marriage is I told you before People get married for all kinds of reasons But a Christian marriage must have one purpose As the guiding and uniting principle of their marriage Of of the marriage To honor and to glorify Jesus through your marriage That's the one principle not to make you happy, not to do all these other things to honor and to glorify Jesus what are you doing in your marriage to glorify God now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says this so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God see y'all thought that passage was just about eating and drinking well, I'm going to eat to the glory of God give me some neck bones, ham hocks and fried rice or whatever I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink to the glory of God praise God No, that little word all changes things, doesn't it? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, to his glory, which means that your marriage should be a visible display of God's glory. When people look at you as a couple, do they see the glory of the Lord? Or do they see two people that really can't stand each other? Boy, you can hear a mouse walk on cotton right now. (laughs) That's why I started this whole thing with I'm a sinner too. So it's on me too. What do people see when they see your marriage? Now here's the second thing you do. Embrace the king's design for marriage embrace the king's design for marriage and what does that mean there's a second clause in that lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done god has a blueprint for marriage he designed it here's a quick summary husbands love and lead your wives sacrificially wives submit to and respect your husbands as friends lovers and companions Husbands, we resist God's design when we fail to love our wives as servant leaders. Wives, we resist God's design when we usurp our husband's leadership or fail to respect him. Now, I've said this before in teaching on marriage. Stop giving the other person what your greatest need is. Men, your greatest need is respect. I can't tell you over 30 years how many times I've heard men come and say, but I respect my wife. I bring home my paycheck. Why won't she do anything that I ask her to do? Because her greatest need is not respect. Her greatest need is love. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. He doesn't say husbands, respect. Now, in respect, in love is respect. But you will find, brothers, a whole new woman. That you didn't even know you had. If you love her. So much so that. She'll get on the phone and tell her girlfriend. I know this man will die for me. <laughs> some of y'all, I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but if it came down to it. I know he will give his life for me. Love your wives as Christ. Loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, you talk talking about you love your husband. I love him, Pastor. I don't know why I love him. I love him. I don't, I don't understand. He won't do right. I love him. But you don't respect him. His greatest need is respect. When a man is disrespected, it, something happens in his body. The, his hearing gets shut off. Come on, brothers. Help me here. I didn't understand this at first, but I can't hear a thing when I'm disrespected. It's all right, yeah, right, like Charlie Brown teaching, wah, 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 that's a... So don't be surprised when you hear him say, what you say? You haven't been listening to uh-uh. me. I want to, but I can't. My hearing won't work. We cannot ask for God's blessings in marriage when we refuse to accept God's blueprint for marriage. Amen. But when Jesus becomes king in a marriage, husbands become better husbands and wives become better wives, and that marriage finds renewal in God's kingdom. The last thing, last thing apply the gospel to your marriage every day. This is the secret weapon. That the enemy cannot handle. This is the secret weapon in a Christian marriage that will keep love and commitment alive. It begins with a self-understanding of who we actually are. I am a sinner. Now say that. Say it like you mean it, don't? Some of y'all are like, "I'm a sinner. I don't know what he's talking about huh? I'm just going to say it because everybody else is saying it but. when you understand what that means you understand that that's directly tied to the gospel because you don't come to Jesus you don't come to, the, to Christ without first admitting that you are a sinner gospel begins with that harsh reality of my own depravity and guilt the marriage experience will urge us to minimize our failures but to maximize the failures in our spouse but the gospel does the opposite of that it magnifies my sin in my own eyes which minimizes by comparison the sins of others including my spouse Here's a way to know if you're applying this principle. Ask yourself this question. Who is the biggest problem in your marriage? (laughs) I wish y'all could see what I see right now. (laughs) It's some side eye going on. (laughs) Who's the biggest problem in your marriage? Be honest. What do you think? If you think the biggest problem in your marriage is your spouse, you are not applying the gospel to your marriage. How helpful it is to say every day, I'm a sinner and I'm married to a sinner. See, some of y'all thought y'all was marrying honey, baby, sweetheart, angel of my life love eternal, all them sweet words we call each other, sugar, boo, all that stuff. What Beyonce say? Bae, you my bae. You thought that's what you was getting, didn't you? You woke up after the honeymoon and was like, where did this person come from? (laughs) You found out they could be, you know... (laughs) I'm going to move on. I ain't saying nothing else. The hole is deep already, Brother Frank. I'm just... Yeah, that's right. So every day you say, I'm a sinner and I'm married to a sinner. This is what makes for a great marriage. The gospel brings humility. The Bible provides a blueprint. The glory of the king is the ultimate purpose. Here's the encouragement. Spouses who are motivated to honor Jesus by being a godly spouse become better and better husbands and wives, joyful in their marriage. But this joy is a paradox. The great preacher, Pastor Charles Spurgeon said this I looked to Christ, and a dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove, and it flew away. Where should your eyes be focused? On Christ. If you leave here, determined. To be joyful in your marriage, you likely will not be. If you leave here more committed to finding joy and meaning in the in Jesus, you may have a happy marriage. We only get the one as the byproduct of the other. It is the gospel that must be the foundation. For any human relationship and this is especially true for marriage because marriage is the one human relationship that calls for the highest degree of maturity. How unhappy would you are you in marriage when you got to be following your spouse around. Looking through their Facebook page scrolling through their phone. Always quiet in here now. How unhappy are you when you have to do all those kind of things see if you really trusted God my wife make more money than I might ever make in my life she's around men that make twice and three times what I make every single day but here's what I trust I trust in the God of heaven that has placed me as pastor in her life. And she knows that if she moves from that, she decided to settle for something less. You can sleep at night when you believe that. I ain't got to look through no phones. I don't have to follow nobody around. I'm not hiring a private detective. I have the Holy Spirit, which is everywhere at the same time. Come on now. That wasn't in my notes, I just want you to But see, the gospel reminds us of the sacrifice Jesus made on a hill called Calvary. Sometimes, in fact, many times, you must go to Calvary for those you love. But do not go to Calvary in order to place yourself as superior, in order to say, I went to Calvary for you. You ought to love me. You ought to do right by me. When Jesus was hanging there, he didn't say, look at me and do right by me because I'm dying for your sin. He looked up to the Father and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you're on Calvary for your marriage, you have to say, forgive them because they know not what they do. Forgive them. Go to Calvary because it's God's design that we die to ourselves in order to live for him. Come on, give the Lord some praise here today. Bless the Lord today. Bless the Lord today. Bless the Lord today. Bless the Lord today. 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 I want to do this before we leave today because there are there are marriages and maybe most marriages that hit rough patches I read an article last week as I was studying for this and one of the, the writers said our marriage didn't hit a we didn't get the seven year itch as if we wanted somebody else we hit seven years and forgot how to communicate we hit seven years and couldn't talk to one another anymore. We hit seven years and became incredibly selfish. See, what you don't understand sometimes that people go through phases in life. It is quite natural for those of us who have moved into our 50s to become reflective about the years that we may have wasted, the time that we spent living for ourselves having some lament about the past that's kind of a natural thing and it can affect your relationship because you become sorrowful and regretful and bitter and some of us have hit our 40s we start thinking about the changes physically that we're going through what was a six pack is now a kegger. Come on, help me, somebody. What was north is now south. You tired when you used to have energy. Kids leave the home and now you're trying to discover who am I? Because I'm not a parent like that anymore. And then we start trying to tell our children what to do as adults. I had to resist that. I had to come to a place where my children know I'm here for you to guide you. But you're an adult. And I pray for you every day that you make the right decision. But it's hard for me because as a parent, you always want to tell your children, don't do that. You're going to fall on your face. But sometimes a face plan is what you need in life to wake you up. So I know that there are people here today and I'm going to ask you whether your spouse is here or not that as a married couple would you join me at the altar even if you feel like our marriage is great you don't know if your spouse feels exactly the same way but I want to pray for your marriage today I want to pray for you if your wife is here and you're in this building, come up and stand next to your wife. If you're in this building, husbands, wives. Now, here's the beautiful thing about, about this. I want our single people because here's, here's what, you, what you get when you're single. You get an opportunity to pray for people who are married. So single people, I want you to get in behind these married folks. Come on up here. Because one day God may have you in the front here. And I want you to be able to pray for some of these married people. Pray for them that God will bless their marriage. Because one day somebody's going to need to pray for your marriage. They're going to need to pray for you. Even if you think you'll never be married again. You never know. I'm going to tell y'all something right now. You see, Mother Bertha back here, she's a widow. Bless your heart, Mother. But I always kind of tease her every now and then. I say, girl, you keep looking that good, God going to send you another husband. Listen, she ain't said he ain't. I met a couple not long ago. Husband was the groom was eighty-something, and the wife was seventy-nine. You tell me what God can't do? Some of y'all laugh because y'all thought the joy, the marriage purpose of marriage was something else. It's to glorify God. And why couldn't someone in their eighties glorify God in a marriage relationship? So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of our marriages today. Every marriage in this house. Every person that's contemplating marriage. I want to pray for you today. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we come to you as sinners. We come to you empty and devoid of the ability on our own to glorify you in our relationships. God, we come to you in some cases having failed much more than we succeeded. But God, today we come also seeking a kingdom culture in our homes and in our families. So we pray, first of all, Father, as the gospel, we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior. We pray that you would forgive us for our sins. For you said in your word, though our sins be like scarlet, though they be red and muddy and dirty, you will make our hearts white as snow. God, we pray today for your cleansing power in our marriages, in our families, in our hearts. Let Jesus truly be the center of it all for us from beginning to the end. Let it always be about Jesus. Father, I lift these married couples up to you that you will bless that you will guide, that you will lead us to understand the purpose of marriage is your glory and not for ourselves. For every single person here today, every widowed person here today, God I pray your grace and your mercy and that Father I pray that you would, if it be your will, that if you would lead them in decision making to understand the purpose of marriage is not to end loneliness. It's not to have a sexual relationship. It's not to make more money. But the purpose of marriage is to glorify you. And may they make those decisions on with whom they will enter into covenant with. Based on that primary and chief principle. To your glory. And now as the God of grace, bless us now. Lead us now. Guide us now that we may glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you today. God bless you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.